The hashtag MeToo travelled across the world in the wake of allegations against Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein. He denies the charges against him, but it became a global movement, kicked off by a single tweet that called for solidarity among women who had experienced sexual abuse and rape to demonstrate the size of the problem. It spawned a number of other hashtags related to feminism. Some of them were created and used by men to stand beside women like How I Will Change and of course the Time's Up hashtag, a campaign to not only call time on workplace sexual abuse but with much broader aims around equality and pay. Hello and welcome to the second in a two-part special of the BBC Trending podcast examining the Me Too movement. I'm Anissa Subedal. Let me reintroduce our panel who are here to help me unpick some of these complex issues that surround this campaign. In Washington, D.C., I have... Hi, I'm Megan McArdle, a columnist for The Washington Post. And in the studio with me here in London. Ladies, if you'd like to say hello again, please. My name is Kirsty Allison and I'm a writer. Hello, I'm Natalie Collins and I'm a gender justice specialist. But before we begin, let's hear from journalist and women's activist Meghna Pant from India. She says the hashtag MeToo did have an impact on women there at a grassroots level, but that it's not adequately reforming the tiers of society that need to change. She begins by describing an incident known as Eve teasing, which is a common term used in some South Asian countries. It refers to a wide variety of behaviour, including molestation, flashing, or any sort of verbal, physical, sexual street harassment. Like most other women across the nation, I've also faced something called Eve teasing, which is a form of sexual harassment that takes place in public spaces across India, uh, especially on the roads and public transportation. Uh, so for me, for the first time that I was Eve teased, I was perhaps 10 or 11 years old. I'd gone with my cousins to an ice cream parlor near my house. And when we were coming out, we saw a middle-aged man standing opposite the road at a bus stop. And something about him just seemed off. Uh, we looked closely and uh, my, cup, my cousin, who's a couple of years older, she covered my eyes and told me, don't look. But of course I looked and I saw that this man was holding something in his hand that was coming out of his body and uh, his face was kind of distorted uh, with this with this odd expression and I couldn't read what it was, you know, but he was shaking this sort of long organ in his hand and at that age I didn't know what he was holding or what he was doing. And it's only now that I look back and realize that the man opposite the ice cream parlor was actually masturbating in full public view and no one called him out for it. Um, it was also the first time in my life that I'd seen uh, a penis and I learned that men feel the need to pleasure themselves at the discomfort of women and of children. I think Me Too uh, is one of the 21st century's uh, largest feminist movements. It's, it's brought together women from all over the world uh, to finally have a single unified conversation uh, around sexual harassment, uh, including in India. Has it converted into anything? Has it has it really enabled change? I don't know because, you know, we can all take to social media and we can shout me to all that we want. Uh, but when it comes to truly enabling ourselves, I don't know if we really do it because uh, as Indian women, I don't know if we know how to do it. Uh, we, we, as a nation, we tend to grant a lot of impunity to our men. We take no call to action. Uh, we do not assign men uh, retribution and we lack the moral courage to take a stand against especially powerful men, rich men or good-looking men, uh, and we condone their actions. Um, and if you look at 
at the papers from 1980 to 2018, the news in India, the front page news has not changed. The same rapes are taking place, the same acid attacks are taking place. Uh, the only thing that's really changed, thanks to Me Too and thanks to the empowerment of women, is that conversations have started coming forward from private groups or private institutions or dining spaces to public platforms, especially thanks to social media. That was writer and journalist Meghna Pant. Now, in the West, there are some transparent and stringent legal procedures to combat sexual violence against women and prosecute perpetrators. But is the real work of Me Too failing again women in countries like India? Isn't that where the focus needs to be shifted? Natalie, what do you think? I think there is this this risk that we say, oh, well, we should be concerned about someone somewhere else because they have it worse than we do. We should be concerned equally about people here and people elsewhere, wherever that is. And we need to be looking at, at addressing the issues in the UK if we're in the UK, because that is our context and that is where we need to speak into, but also being aware of and, and campaigning against and challenging stuff in other parts of the world. For instance, as you're saying, in India and seeing and, and trying to see an effect change. But can we say Me Too has failed? Me Too is a group of women getting together and saying, I had this experience. Do we do, do we expect Me Too to be a global effect um, affecting global law change. I don't know whether we can expect it to do that much. Megan, is that something you agree with? Like the women of each particular country need to take care of themselves? Yeah, I think so for a few reasons. I mean, first of all, I'm just really uncomfortable with the idea of me going over and telling Indians how to how to do culture, right? Um, but there's also But this the, isn't this isn't culture. You're not co-opting their way of life. It is you, a cultural value that I think should change. I but really even don't that agree. statement is a, you know, patriarchy is it is different in each country and it is a culture it is embedded in the culture as in ways that we've talking about the culture needs to change but for me to go in and march in and tell someone else how their culture needs to change and exactly what what the best ways are to do there are a lot of leadership's not about telling not. people you but know here, I've but been here we're with... talking about a legal system that would help women who have been sexually abused or raped absolutely look it, w- would i donate money to a group that that was making it easier for women women who have been raped in other countries to get redress? Absolutely. Or frankly, just to recover if there were, you know, because it is obviously extremely traumatic and I, I would I would absolutely put money in. But would I go in and say to anyone in any other country, you know, I know how you guys should be? No, because first of all, it doesn't work. Right. American walks over and tells people uh, other people how to live their lives does not seem to in general have been a very effective strategy for See, getting I anything just, done. I just don't agree that money is the solution to any of this. I think positive leadership within communities, it doesn't necessarily have to come from the person within that community because we can influence, as we've seen, you know, we have influenced India with the way that people can then be empowered to create their own female communities, which right. are... But, Come progressive. But, that, 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 but that is for something that we are doing within our community that they are looking at and saying, great idea. And we should look at stuff that they do in their communities and bring it here and say, great idea. But that is different from walking in and telling people no. to change. Yeah, but telling really and leadership is is about influence. And that's the whole point. You know, it's about I'm, I'm working with some women in the Middle East at the moment and I'm collecting not just me but other women around there who are kind of inspiring to speak and kind of you know grow grow the power of women in those areas so I think things movements as we call them they happen culturally you know everyday sexism the gender these things they kind of led the way for the me too 
movement. It's not just a single thing. You're right. You know, there have been other campaigns before now, uh, like Laura Bates's Everyday Sexism. You know, it's it's been in the ether. We know that it's in our landscape. But with this one particularly, suddenly everything is up for grabs. So what I'm trying to get at is whether it's changed you as a person and the way that you approach men and women. Megan, is that something that you've seen a change in yourself? No, I mean, look, I I knew slightly a couple of the guys who were accused, and I guess it I haven't run into any of them, but I guess it would probably change um, my behavior towards them. But, you know, I know. I don't actually don't think it has. I The caveat not, not is that I'm a 45-year-old woman, married, 45-year-old married woman, so it's not like I was going on a lot of dates before. Um, or And people don't look at me as someone who is who can be sort of pressured for dates. So It could even be a professional relationship. So, you know, you're a columnist for the Washpo. You could go into the office. Have you noticed a change in your approach? No, because I think that, again, I, you know, I am not of the this, – most, this mostly happens to women who are under the age of 30 or 35. This is not something that, that I think there are a lot of – I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying in general, younger – less developed in their career, less powerful women are the most vulnerable to this. I was terribly sexually harassed when I was in my 20s. And by the time I was in my 40s, it wasn't happening to me anymore. You're invisible, aren't you, to men when you get over 40? I think that it's just cultures kind of preying on our innocence and this kind of worshipful kind right. of adoration towards innocence. And it's like, oh, suddenly, you know, I held on to my innocence like it was some sort of golden glory trophy. <laughs> what about the way we are with other women, with ourselves, within ourselves? I think I would say that um, because I think Me Too may have changed people's lives who who were not previously engaged in feminism. So I think for me, probably the change for me for as a result of Me Too is it has opened the dialogue and it has meant that on a daily basis or, you know, it started off on a daily basis and became on about a weekly basis that, that, that there was opportunities to have conversations about male entitlement and male violence that weren't previously there. So I think for me, it has opened up dialogues that previously you wouldn't have had a space to talk about. And there wouldn't have been, well, I mean, I talked about it anyway, but <laughs> it's much to everybody's great pleasure. But I think, you know, actually now those conversations are much already opening um, and people are more able to see, oh, this is actually a big issue. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've seen a lot of men talking about on social media and other places is them thinking that when women had shared with them stories of sexual harassment or sexual violence, they thought it was isolated incidents. And they thought... Um, oh, this is just something that happened or was done to this person that I know. And they're, they're suddenly going, I can't believe that this is like well, all women. This is kind of the experience mm. of being a woman. And I think that that has changed men's empathy of what it what it means to be a woman and given men a, a little bit of a gl- more of a glimpse into what it is to be a woman than maybe had previously been seen. Natalie, you talked about it earlier and I, I want to talk a little bit about it now. The Me Too Sister campaign, Time's Up. People who've used this hashtag consider themselves to be part of this broader campaign that tackles systematic inequality in the workplace. Um, For people who don't know, you could say that it offers a a more solutions-based offensive that calls for a change in terms of equal pay and safety in the workplace. But my question is, I think, has it diluted the message of Me Too? And should all the issues of sexual and social injustice be tackled at the same time? Megan, what do you think? You know, I think that you have to, yes, tackle them all at the same time, but not necessarily. You you can prioritize one over the other. Look, I would argue that what 
happened with in a lot of the Me Too stories, but it means all of the Me Too stories. If I had to put a hierarchy in, I would say rape is worse than sexual harassment, right? Sexual harassment is very bad. It's just not as bad as being raped. And and yet when the Me Too moment happened, you know, you have when you have a wave, you kind of say, okay, I'm going to push my effort on this wave because I can do something about it right now, right? I can do more about sexual harassment, even though it is not as big a problem as rape, while still being a very large problem. Um, and, and so I think that in that sense, yes, sometimes when you are riding a wave, you have to just say, okay, right now women who are working on these issues have to go all in on this particular variant in the same way that, you know, when if there is a big, terrible story about a rape, you may de-emphasize other things because now you have the publicity and you have the moment to actually change minds. You've got everyone's attention. You go on the issue that you have people's attention on. But I think that responding to sexual harassment makes a dent in uh, responding to rape. This is about addressing and raising awareness of and challenging male entitlement over women's bodies, which is what rape is about and sexual harassment is about. So if we can challenge sexual harassment, what we do is we say to men, this is not okay. It's not okay to think you own women's bodies, that you can do what you like to them. And hopefully that then has a knock-on effect to what they do in their personal lives. So obviously it's not going to stop everybody raping, but it may cause um, there to be less tolerance of male entitlement in certain in ways, which then leads to less tolerance in other ways, and to men maybe realizing that that this isn't okay when they I'm might not, have thought I'm it not was. Sure, I, look, look, I don't think Harvey. Do you think Harvey Weinstein would Harvey Weinstein have made a movie in which the hero behaved like Harvey Weinstein? No, obviously not. He knew it well, was wrong. Well, no, because it's no. I'm not sure he did. I think he was actually just testing his boundaries. I've hung out, you know, been in the hotel, standing can, seen him with his girls around his sort of around his big chair and his big cocktail, you know, and. <laughs> I kind of have seen him and I'm I know yeah, what I it's like look- to be young and impressed and you know it's just kind of part of the culture and thank everyone right, right. that the without- culture is changing and we should note that Harvey Weinstein has formally pleaded not guilty to rape and sexual assault charges It hasn't been just women that have spoken about sexual abuse American actor Terry Crews recently spoke to U.S. politicians about his experience. In 2016, while at a party with my wife, I was sexually assaulted by a successful Hollywood agent. The assault lasted only minutes. But what he was effectively telling me while he held my genitals in his hand was that he held the power that he was in control. This is how toxic masculinity permeates culture. As I shared my story, I was told over and over that this was not abuse, that this was just a joke, that this was just horseplay. But I can say that one man's horseplay is another man's humiliation. I'm not a small or insecure man, but in that moment and in the time following, I've never felt more emasculated. So by and large, men have been mostly absent from the Me Too conversation. Should it include both men and women? Megan, what do you think? Absolutely, because there are men who are sexually harassed. I know know men who have been sexually harassed by heterosexual women, not a lot, but it has happened. Uh, I know gay men who've been sexually harassed, trans people. Yes, absolutely. 
men have to be part of the conversation because it happens to them. And also because, look, they are part of our weapon in fighting it, right? They are – now, it is true. They didn't understand how common it was. And, you know, I, I've, I know my husband was surprised when I told him how commonly I was sexually harassed as a young worker. Um, but th- at the same time, they're the ones who in some ways – right, because they're there when the talk happens that doesn't happen around the ladies, and so absolutely, these guys need to be, you know, part of it, both as sometimes victims, but also as the people who can say in the locker room where we aren't, no, this is not OK. And it's not funny. And you shouldn't joke about it. I think I agree about um, men's place. I think men's place in the Me Too movement is to listen and to speak to other men. Um, I I'm reluctant to say I wouldn't want to in any way invalidate or devalue Terry Crews's or any other man's experience of being subjected to um, sexual harassment or abuse. However, in the UK, what we've seen is that when we bring around domestic violence, responses to domestic violence, that we we have seen a degendering of the service and saying anybody can be subjected to violence, anybody can perpetrate violence. Um, this this demand on women's services that they provide support for men who've been subjected to abuse, and I think it's really probably Problematic. Men want different things from services. Men need different things. The, the risks attached to um, men, when a man leaves a female abuser, the risk to him of further violence goes down. When a woman leaves a male abuser, the risk to him, to her, goes up. So I think we need to be thinking that this is not just like, oh, let's just talk about all the experiences at the same time. There are particular ways that this is shaped and looks like, and it, we are unable to have a conversation that is structural and political if we don't talk about male violence towards women as, as the dominant issue and that this is a class-based issue. OK, look, I, you know, I, 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 I get that and I, I agree there are gendered aspects to this that are special. But at the same time, let me talk about my experience of I, I wrote a column a couple months back after Eric Schneiderman, the New York attorney general, had been accused of abusing a bunch of women. I wrote a column on, on, the, on my decision not to leave a, a, a partner who had hit me. Uh, this was not, by the way, a good decision. I wasn't defending it. I was explaining it. Uh, and it was a long time ago. But uh, I had a friend reach out to me who I knew had had some some issues who had – who's a guy and who had been domestic – he'd been terribly abused by his partner. And we commiserated about sort of similar – and what I regret And it doesn't matter then, if it's gay or straight in that situation it, 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 well, yeah, it, it was a woman. It was – he was abused by his wife. It was not um, – He let me make that clear. And, you know, we had a, a, a discussion about this. And then I looked at the column that I'd written and I really regretted writing it about just men because I had. And I thought, you know what? I have totally shut out his experience. One last question before we end. In 10 years time, do you think we'll remember the moments at which Me Too became this global phenomenon in, in the way that the hashtag went viral, in the same way that some people might remember the fall of the Berlin Wall or the day that John Lennon was shot. Megan, how do you think history will remember this movement? I don't, you know, I think that we're already fading the day. It's not something like the like John Lennon getting shot, which is a discrete event, right? You're on one side of it or you're on the, on the other. This is more like it's, it's, it's an ongoing moment. And so I like I had actually forgotten that Alyssa Milano had <laughs> tweeted out this thing, but it doesn't matter because I I do remember the movement, right? And in the same way, I think we will remember this the same way. But, I think but the, in ten years' time, you know, how will history write this? I think history will write this as a big cultural shift. I think that, like many big cultural shifts, and in, in a couple of cases, it may have we're still calibrating, 
right? We're still trying to figure out what is, a, we, we had an old norm, we've gotten rid of it, what are the new ones? And I think we're still trying to figure that out. We may look back and think in some cases we went too far, in some cases we didn't go far enough. We're, all, we're still trying to figure this out. But I think that this will absolutely be seminal for women in the workplace. I really do, especially in professional jobs. And I would really love to see that then you know, extend to women who are not in professional work because the fact about Me Too is you can't shame, you know, if I write a column about some guy who runs an auto body shop in Michigan and how he's sexually harassing his employees, no one's going to, that's not viral, right? And so we we need to talk about going beyond this to think to ways to help those women who can't realistically expect to to get redress by shaming the non-famous people they work with. Kirstie, um, a decade from now, what happens? I mean, I just think that it might get labelled as feminism and that's my issue with it because it's victimhood. Even if we call ourselves survivors from it, I just get concerned that we are degrading ourselves as women by casting ourselves as victims. Natalie, do you share that view? I have a more or less pessimistic I mean I wouldn't view the Me Too campaign in that way anyway but I think that overall I think in a decade from now what what I think it will mean to a lot of people is that's the first time I told my story and I experienced such a a liberation from shame and from um, the power of that 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 person had over me and I took part in a moment in history where um where I was able to share something I'd never shared before and I became part of a movement of women who did that. And I think that for every single woman who's done that, it will have been, you know, and not maybe every single, but a lot of women, that's going to be a very, very profound thing for them. I think whether, will we see it still affecting change in 10 years? Will it be more than a footnote in um, feminism? Will it be feminism? Who knows? But I think for the women whose stories were shared, it'll be something that's very important for their lives and their journey. Megan McArdle in Washington, D.C., Natalie Collins and Kirsty Allison with me here in the studio. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Anissa. Thank you. Thank you. My thanks to producer Lee Kumatat, studio manager John Scott and editor Mike Wendling. Feel free to get in touch and tell us your thoughts about our podcast. And you can do that by finding us on Facebook and sending us a message there or on Twitter at BBC Trendy. Remember, leave us a rating and a comment to help spread the word and don't be shy in telling your friends about what you just heard or any of our other episodes. If you like trending, then I'm sure you'll equally like some of our other great BBC World Service podcasts. Allow me to tell you about Kalki Presents My Indian Life. Here's a taster. Hello, I'm Kalki Kikla, a Bollywood actor. And I've got some really exciting news. The BBC World Service is about to launch a brand new podcast and I'm presenting. My Indian life is about being young and Indian in the 21st century. I won't be shying away from tackling difficult topics. You can listen to the special preview edition now. Search for My Indian Life wherever you find your podcasts. And that's it for the BBC Trending Podcast this week. I'm Anissa Subedar. Thanks for listening.